Blog Talk Radio. And now, shining the light of biblical truth, this is Truth Be Told Radio with your host, Melissa Canchola. Yes, that's me, Melissa Canchola. Thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. i to get started with our lesson. This is God Gave Them Up by Vody Balcom. Here on Truth Be Told Radio. Well, we're in Romans chapter 1, and we have come to, again, we're in that second segment in Romans chapter 1 that goes from Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 all the way through chapter 8. But even in the midst of this division, there is another subdivision here in Romans 1 and 2. And even in that subdivision, there's another subdivision in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, and that's where we're concentrating right now. We're looking at this picture of sin and its origins and its consequences. And as we come to this picture of sin, we, we, we look, first of all, at the fact that man, because of what God has revealed of himself in general revelation, is without excuse and is accountable for his sin. We then look specifically at man and his sin as it relates to denying God's existence, God's majesty, God's authority. And there's a corner that's turned in that last paragraph. It's almost as though there's a distinction here, as though the first part of this section deals with man and his alienation from God because of his violation of the first four commandments, the vertical commandments that have to do with our duty to God. And we turn the corner there and started at the last part of the last paragraph to look at man's violation of the last six commandments or man's duty toward man. And it's interesting how these two are interconnected. And they are interconnected at the point that we speak about today in our sin as it relates to sexual behavior. Now, that brings me to what we always do at times like these. If you remember in Genesis chapter 19, I'll give you a little disclaimer. Here in Romans chapter 1, I'll give you a little disclaimer. Uh, This passage deals with sex and homosexuality. And it deals honestly and plainly. Now, just like we did in Genesis chapter 1, every effort will be made to speak about these topics in a way that is both truthful and decent. Every effort will be made. But there are some honest things that are said about the behavior of homosexuality here in this passage of Scripture. I, I will be um, as careful as I can. Uh, However, there are some, and I know that there are folks who just feel like, you know, you don't want your kids to eat. I probably already upset you because I didn't spell S-E-X and actually said the word. Um, And if that's you, then just know uh, that here in in Romans chapter 1, in this particular paragraph, it deals very honestly with S-E-X. And it deals very honestly with 
deviant behaviors connected to that particular issue. My promise to you is that I will be as honest as I can um, and as careful as I can in dealing with this particular subject. And if you were here when we dealt with Genesis chapter 19, uh, or if you heard uh, that message from Genesis chapter 19, you have a pretty good idea of what I am saying. All right. Having said that, let us begin. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. This is the second of the three, therefore he gave them over, clauses. The first one was in last week's paragraph. Therefore he gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Here's the second, the one in the middle. For this reason he gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then the third, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, in verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. So we're right in the middle of all of that. And here in the middle of all of that we read, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, as we examine this, here's what I want you to recognize. I want you to recognize first, there's, a, there's an umbrella statement. We've got to recognize this statement. We heard about it last week. We heard about it again on next week. But this idea of God giving them up, this idea of God turning Get social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page as Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you'd like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B. T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth, the letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M smilesandstuff.com So stay social with us and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. Okay, sorry about that. I think I don't know how long the the lesson was stopped playing before. Um, 
because I left it and then it was like 10% charge and I didn't realize I was going to go off. So I had to get somebody else for my dad. And so sorry about that, but I'm going to play the rest of from when I um, stopped the, the Bodhi Bhakti sermon. This is, once again, God gave them up, and this is Bodhi Bhakti. I brought alongside with it. So here's what we need to know. What the homosexual needs is the same thing that the rest of us need. We need Christ. We need to be redeemed. And there is hope. I've told you this before, perhaps. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you again. Because it marked me indelibly. This is several years ago now. I'm on the campus at San Jose State University. It's been a week between San Jose State and Stanford uh, preaching on the campus there, sometimes just preaching, you know, out in the quad, you know, just sort of open-air preaching. Other times we were doing different things. But so we're there in, at San Jose State, and we have uh, these tracks that we're passing out, and we're talking to people about the gospel and we're preaching, and this young lady comes up to me. This young lady comes up to me, and she has on uh, some blue jeans and combat boots and an army jacket, and she's, you know, sort of wearing her clothes and her hair in such a way uh, as it didn't take a lot to figure out which group she represented. She was part of a lesbian group on campus. She and a friend came up, got in our faces. And it was obvious in that moment. As she got right up in my face. It was obvious what she wanted. She wanted a confrontation. She wanted me to go off. And she was pushing all the buttons, just, just right up in my face. And by the grace of God, I was able to remain calm and continue to smile and all these sorts of things. Eventually, I gave her some of the literature that we were passing out. She didn't get the fight that she wanted, so she walked off. And I'm just thanking the Lord. I'm grateful because we've experienced victory. She wanted a war right in front of everybody. She didn't get the war that she wanted. There's been victory, and so we're all celebrating. Things calm down, and people are in classes. Half an hour, 45 minutes later, she walks up to me. But her gait is different than it was before. She opens up this track and she says, what, what does this mean? And so I explain to her what it means. Well, what about this? I explained to her what it means. She's asking questions about the gospel. And she looks at me and she says, do you mean to tell me that you believe that this Jesus that you preach would save me too. And I looked at her and I said, oh, yeah. And she just stood there. And so I looked at her and she just stood there not knowing what to do. And I said, can I pray for you? And with tears coming down her face, she looked at me and she asked me, would you really do that right here, right now? I'd be honored to. 
So she just kind of stood there and put her hands in, you know what to do? <laughs> I put my hand on her shoulder, and I began to pray for her. And she just leaned forward, and her head just fell on my shoulder as I was praying for her. And all of a sudden, it just dawned on me. I wonder how many times in this young woman's life a man has touched her with no intention of harming her or using her. And I prayed for her, and she began to sob. And then this thought dawned on me. It would take no more grace for God to save her than it did for God to save me. No more. She was caught up in a particularly heinous lifestyle. But hear this. Jesus saves to the uttermost. He is able. The last thing you and I need to do is to buy this lie that says what the homosexual needs is for us to alter what God has revealed in nature and what he has revealed in his word so that there is no longer this condemnation of sin. Don't believe that. But at the same time, don't you dare believe you're better. Don't you dare believe that homosexuality is a bridge too far. God is able. Share the gospel. Share Christ as your only hope and as the homosexual's only hope. Not to condemn. God's law could do that all by itself. That's not our job. Speak the truth. But by all means, speak the truth. That is the homosexual's only hope. And it is yours as well. Let's pray. Father, as we bow, we confess to you our natural tendency stand tall in condemnation of sins that we don't practice. Grandfather, by your grace, that we might recognize that it is purely your mercy that has brought us to you. Purely your mercy. that has allowed those of us in this room who aren't fighting this battle to not be caught up in this lifestyle. And it is purely your mercy and your mercy alone that can save the homosexual. The gospel, not failing to speak the truth about this issue. The gospel, not being unnecessarily offensive on this issue. The gospel and the gospel alone So we may we recognize 
our own need for mercy. May we recognize how heinous our own sin is before you. And in doing so, may we turn to those enslaved in this lifestyle and speak truth as those who are recipients of it in spite of our lack of work, in spite of our unworthiness, and solely because of the value placed on us by Christ who shed his blood to redeem us for himself. Make us humble. Make us bold. We ask this because we believe it's in accordance with the will and the nature and the authority of your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ, our only Savior, Master, and Lord. Amen. The same old story? This is Ken Ham, and we publish the award-winning family magazine called Answers. All last week, I answered common questions about Noah's Ark, but is there any evidence there really was a global flood and a Noah's Ark? Well, consider that flood legends are found all over the world, from Australia to Mexico to China. Why? Well, after the global flood, people eventually scattered around the world. They took with them the account of the flood from their ancestor Noah and his sons. And over time, the real account got twisted as it was handed down to each new generation. But the true account is preserved for us in the Bible. These flood legends from all over provide confirmation that there really was a global flood, just like the Bible says. Yes, we can trust the Bible's history, discover more truth from God's Word, and learn about our Answers Family Magazine at AnswersRadio.com. AnswersRadio.com. Okay, are we recording? All right, come here, Lino. Lino, the camera guy is helping out again. Say hi, Lino. Hi, Lino. No, I mean like. Oh, that was such a dad joke, right? Hi, yeah. guys. Hi. Hello, YouTube. Now we're at the mall. We're hoping we don't get kicked out. <laughs> Three days later. We got kicked out of the mall, so here we are. See, this is what happens when we wing things. Okay, um, as you can see, uh, <clears throat> we are in a different location. <laughs> we are in the middle of Old Town in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is a, a very old town. And as always, we have my cameraman, Lino. Lino got us kicked out of the mall. We were very Christian-like, and we left when we were asked. We were demanded to leave. We were escorted out. I'm just kidding. We didn't. The woke mall. <laughs> no, I think they just have rules or something. If we have to obey people and their rules in the Bible or something, I guess. We're going to get some people to interview, same reason as before just asking them basic questions about God and Christianity, and uh, let's see where this goes. So, hi, thank you so much for talking with me. What's your name? My name's Corey. Corey, so nice to meet you. Do you believe in God at all? Yes. Okay, what do you believe about God? What does that mean? I think that God created the world and the the universe. Okay, so is it like a Christian God? Are you Christian, would you say? No, I'm not really Christian, more of a a naturist. Okay. Yeah. Like a new age? Great spirit kind of thing, you know got it you pray at all 
um, yeah, when I'm in my backyard, I pray and and kind of well meditate about that stuff. And and I went to go home, and I was I'm from a lake town. I was at the lake praying at the lake. All right. Yeah. So, what do you think about uh, things like Jesus, the Bible? But what are your beliefs about that? I think that he was, you know, like a spiritual power. I believe that that's, I believe, I was raised Catholic, so I believe in that, yeah. Like everybody else out here raised Catholic, just a heads up, everybody, yeah, yeah. essentially everybody in New Mexico is like New Age or Catholic. I just don't believe in all the sin stuff. Would you say Jesus was a historical figure then? Absolutely. Okay, uh, what do you think about the Bible? I think there's a lot of good information in the Bible. Well, what would you say is good information about it? The Bible, um... I think some of the stuff that's in Leviticus is sort of interesting. Um, oh, interesting. Most people don't like that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just interesting in terms of, like, like a historical perspective because it's like, you know, it's like there's some good ideas in there. Um, and then, I don't know, I just think it's, it's, it's good if you don't take it, you know, if you don't go crazy on it. Do you take it literally? Or do you, okay. Are you familiar with the Gospels at all? Not really. So not taking it literally. So if I were to put a Bible in front of you and say that I open it up to a gospel and you read something in there, um, and let's just say it's a tough scripture. Let's just say it's saying, you know, repent. What would you think about that? If Jesus is saying, hey, repent of your sins, and you don't like the sin thing, what, how would you take that then? What does that mean? If I were to say repent, I would say for all the things that you've done when you were younger, like that were, that were um, you know, because people make bad decisions and they treat, mistreat people. Like, I was just home visiting my family, and my family is native, and so they were treated poorly because the, where the where we're from is it's primarily Caucasian, and so they were treated really badly when they were young. So in situations like that where if you mistreated somebody, then you should make amends for it, you know, or, you know, try to make amends if you can, you know, because that stuff will eat you. It'll eat at you, you know. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so what about truth? Do you think truth is, like, truth is important. Let's take morality. Is there objective moral truth? Just give me an example. Um, okay. So, for example, let's say, all right, stealing, murder. Like, is that objectively wrong? Um, no. I don't, I don't think so. I think there's, like, if a woman is needing to feed her children and she steals a loaf of bread, I don't think, I think that, I don't think that there's, anything wrong with that yeah you know there's a philosophical approach to that in christianity that actually would agree with you oh, like yeah. the midwives and and like uh in moses's day they lied to pharaoh objective moral truth something being wrong for all people in all times no matter the place or time um and let's say like murder like taking another life is that like objective or subjective i don't know i don't i don't i i think generally it's wrong but you know it's you know like do you think there's ever a dilemma where that would be right for somebody else to do? Not in self-defense or anything like that. Well, another situation for a mom. If a mom is, like, trying to save, help her kids and, you know, trying to save her kids from an abusive parent or someone. Let's just say it was, like, a, a uh, not a situation where somebody's life was in danger. Um, let's say that it's, like, in other words, do you believe that it's a social construct? Do you believe that what we see as true is fluid based on society at the time? Or is there, like, a consistent basis for it throughout time? Wow, these are deep questions. <laughs> really? I just thought they were basic questions. <laughs> basic questions to me. That's 
Oh, interesting. I think about this stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. This has been great, though. Think about it more, though. These are good things to think about. Keep Corey in your prayers, guys, and uh, stay tuned for some commentary. Enjoy your coffee. Okay, so it's safe to say that we're getting a little better at not shaking the camera. So this was our second attempt to go out somewhere and talk to a group of people. This was not our only interview. There's going to be more after this, so stay tuned for those. But I really enjoyed talking to this guy. Now, just so you know, he was actually like on a quick coffee break. I caught him in the middle of him just probably trying to get away from his job, uh, wanting to walk around and just enjoy the breeze and enjoy the weather. And then he runs into me. So, I mean, as a fellow coffee lover, I get it. So I thought that this would be a really good example to show you guys on how to have a discussion with a limited amount of time. And guys, I have no plan when I go into this. All I'm doing is just kind of going where the conversation goes. And I'm just genuinely curious to ask them questions. And there's never been a time where I haven't gone into editing and I think, wow, should have asked that obvious question. Wow, that would have been a good question to ask, Melissa. You didn't exactly drop the ball, Melissa, but you could have done better here. I'm just saying that it happens on this side of the camera to you guys. And I said it before, you don't play Holy Spirit, I don't play Holy Spirit. But a few things stuck out to me about this conversation, even though it was really short. Number one, he was very nice and kind to stop and speak with me. I'm still blown away at how nice people are, like face to face. So if anybody that I interview ever comes across this, I just want to thank you so much for lending me your time. I know that that is a gift. So I knew my time was kind of limited. And so just kind of getting a little bit of small talk for, with him, trying to figure out where he's at, what does he believe, just general things like that. Number two, usually one of my favorite things to kind of go back to, if you guys haven't noticed, if you've watched a few of these, is I really like to ask a lot of truth questions. And I, I do Q&A videos on my channel. Be sure to check them out if you're interested. But a lot of people ask how to talk to people, and it depends on who you're talking to, right? Like if you're talking to somebody who claims to be a Christian, you can start with the Bible, start with Jesus, and go from there because there's a foundation already there. However, if you're dealing with somebody that might have more of a fluid view of spirituality, I like to go to more of like an introductory type questions, and there's three that are very important to go to. One, does truth exist? Does God exist? And are miracles real? Like, do you believe that there's a supernatural element to the world where things outside of nature can happen? And that's not even talking about the Bible, right? It's not even really talking about Christianity. So I asked a variety of questions that go back and forth to kind of figure out who I'm talking to. And so if you notice, I asked him a truth question about objective morality. It's so interesting to see people's answer to this. <laughs> I like people to think about the logical ramifications for their worldview, for their conclusions. I think we all should do that when it comes down to it, that we should be thinking about our positions, why we believe what we do, and why we believe it. Are we, are we doing it because it's true? Are we doing it because it's popular and it's accepted by the masses, which tends to be the case, especially now in today's political climate? <laughs> and also the social climate. I mean, there's incentive there for coming alongside and accepting things that are culturally popular. So please pray for this man. I'm very thankful for our conversation and please stay tuned for more of these street interviews. Sound familiar? This is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on why we can trust the Bible from the very first verse. Many cultures have legends with elements remarkably similar to the account of creation, the fall, 
and the flood. Consider this one from Tanzania in Africa. An old man, his wife and their son and daughter-in-law lived in a hut with a small pot hanging from the ceiling, which was not to be touched. But the daughter-in-law touched the pot. It smashed, and all the world's water gushed out, drowning all the people and animals. Did you recognize a few elements that sound similar to the Bible? That's because all mankind is descended from Adam and Eve through Noah and his family. And these legends? Well, they preserve the distorted memory of our history. There's so much more to learn about the true history of the world, starting in Genesis. It's perfectly preserved for us in God's Word. Visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You can be on various levels. I can't. It doesn't seem like justice to me. I'm going to let everyone out of prison and say, we're not going to punish you because you're going to feel guilty. We wouldn't do that because we believe in justice. Are you a Hindu? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, I'm not. What would I get out of it if I become a Hindu? I guess if you become a Hindu, Hindu is, is, is like a way of life. It's nothing to do with God. It's mostly to do with your lifestyle and what kind of thought process you believe in. If you were God, how would you improve life? I feel like that's a hard question to answer just because um, certain people, certain parts of the world have um, different needs. I'd stop disease like cancer. I'd feed starving children. Get the homeless some homes. And I'd stop hurricanes and fires in California. I'd take depression off people that want to commit suicide. And I'd probably deal with the subject of death, because that's a big problem we've all got. Is that a good sort of start for you? I say yes. If you become a Hindu, like you would become a much better human being. And what's going to happen to you after you die, according to Hinduism? According to Hinduism, if you die, you go to heaven or hell. Uh, Hinduism is not like a jacketed religion like many other religions. Like, it doesn't force you to believe in, like, one god. How many gods are there? Actually, there are only three gods, but there are different, like, uh, variations of those gods, like, come up in, like, different times to help different people in different situations. How many? 33 uh, different kinds of gods, but they are like, there are, like, various variations. There might be, like, m- maybe, like, 100,000 variations of gods, different kinds of gods, but th- those are three gods, like Brahma, Vishnu, and Mahesh which are like three main superior gods. And whatever is it, it, they are like extension of them. Is there a top god? Uh, yeah, for Hinduism, the top god, I, I feel, uh, and what I have read is like Brahma, who is like the creator. So Brahma created everything? Yeah. So you have to stand before God on Judgment Day? We believe that whatever you go, go through, you, you de- deal it with over here. Deal yeah, with it here? Yeah. A man commits 10 murders, he's a serial killer, but he doesn't get caught. What happens to him? If you don't get caught, but you're caught in your mind, like your conscience will punish you. I can handle that. You can dull your conscience real easy. Mm-hmm. You can do things you know are morally wrong, and you just dull the voice of conscience. Guilt can be on various levels. I that doesn't seem like justice to me. Why don't they let everyone out of prison mm-hmm. and say, we're not going to punish you because you're going to feel guilty? We wouldn't do that because we believe in justice. Exactly, exactly. You're absolutely right. That is the day of judgment. You will be accountable for all that you have done. So what's going to happen to you after you die? You go into something called um, purgatory, and then that's when you get judged by the things you did while you were alive. You know, that's fallacious. It's not even in the Bible. It's just a tradition of the Catholic Church. Do you think you're a good person? I would say I've done more good than bad, for sure. I think I'll do fairly good. So you're a good person? I would like to think so. Can you be honest with me? Yes, I'm 100% honest. I think. How many lies have you told in your life? I think you lie all the time. 
You lie all the time? Well, that's very honest of you to say you lie all the time. Yeah. Are you telling me the truth when you say you lie all the time? Yeah, it's to various degrees, you know. It's, you so know. What do you call someone who tells lies? Uh, it rhymes with fire and begins with L. So what are you? Liar? Okay, so I'm going to try and show you a very important point that could be life-changing for you based on what you've just told me. Do you think you've kept the Ten Commandments? No. You've lied and stolen? Yes. You're a lying thief? Huh? I guess you could say that when I was like a middle and I just need and I just started lying and stealing when you were little. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yeah. Do you love your mum? I do. Would you ever use her name as a cuss word? I won't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. It'd be disrespectful. Yeah. Because you respect your mum, but you don't respect the God that gave you a mother, the God that gave you a life, because you've taken his holy name and used it as a cuss word. It's called blasphemy, punishment by death in the Old Testament. So, Ron, do you respect Jesus? I do. He said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? I don't think so. When did you last look at pornography? Maybe in high school. Okay, that's lust, yes. committing adultery in your heart. Have you had sex before marriage? Yes. So, Mike, I'm not judging you, but you've just told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, fornicating, adulterer heart, and you have to face God on Judgment Day. If he judges you by the Ten Commandments, you're going to be innocent or guilty. Guilty. Heaven or hell? Hell. So what can you do to justify yourself? How can you be made right with God? There is confession. No, that'll get you in trouble because if you're in, if you're in court and you confess you committed the crime, the judge is going to say, good, we've got a confession out of you. You're going to jail. You ever heard the Bible verse, the wages of sin is death? Ever heard that? I have not. It's a very famous verse of saying God is paying you in death for your sins. Like a judge looks at a criminal who's committed multiple murders and keeps saying, I'm a good person, judge. I'm innocent. The judge says, I'm going to show you how serious your crime is. I'm giving you the death sentence. This is your wages. This is what we're paying you. And Gromit, sin is so serious to a holy God, he's given you the death sentence. You're on death row. Your death will be evidence to you that God is deadly serious about sin. And you may not realize this, but I love you, and I don't want you to go to hell. That horrifies me. Now, do you know what God did, the creator? Do you know what he did? So guilty sinners wouldn't have to go to hell. Do you know? You actually do. You've heard of it, but you don't understand it, so you don't value it. Have you heard of Jesus dying on the cross? Yeah. Most people have, but they haven't heard this. And Robert, if you can get a grip of this, it's going to change everything for you. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. You and I broke the law. Jesus paid the fine. That's what happened when he was on the cross. That's why he cried out, it is finished. Just before he died, he was saying, paid in full. If you're in court and you've got speeding fines, a judge will let you go if someone pays the fine. They say you're guilty of speeding fines. If someone's paid them, you can leave, and it's legal. He lets you go. Well, God can take the death sentence off you because Jesus paid the fine in his life's blood on the cross, and then he rose from the dead and defeated death. And according to the Bible, all you have to do to find everlasting life is repent of your sins, return from your sins, and then you trust in Jesus. At the moment, you're trusting your goodness to save you on Judgment Day. That's like a man who's going to jump out of a plane 10,000 feet and he's going to flap his arms. He's going to try and save himself. And we'd say to that man, don't do that. Just trust the parachute. So don't look to your goodness to save you on Judgment Day because it's not going to work. Just transfer your trust from yourself to the Savior. And the second you do that, you've got a promise from the God who cannot lie. He'll forgive every secret sin you've ever committed. And he'll grant you everlasting life as a free gift. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think about what we talked about today. I would, I would be giving about it for sure. Oh, that is wonderful. You've made my day. 
you know, I, I really want to see you in heaven, not in hell. Can I give you a book I've written called Scientific Facts in the Bible? For sure. really love to read it. I love literature, and I love to gain some knowledge. And from a knowledgeable person like you, I would love that. Thank you. And I've got a Gospel of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament. You're going to love that, too. So let me get them for you. Hey, thank you for listening to me. It's great. Thanks so much for all your knowledge, sir. Thank you. Real quick, here are three things to help you grow in your faith. The Living Waters Podcast, the Evidence Study Bible, 200 of the most commonly asked questions of the Christian faith, and much more. Starter Kit, four of the most popular gospel tracks, available at livingwaters.com. If you've never seen when demons try hard to stop the gospel, you've got to see it. You can watch it right now by clicking up to the left. Bud Legend, they're similar. This is Ken Han, and we've launched the video streaming platform of Answers TV. Once upon a time, an angry crab caused a big flood. It destroyed everything except a brother and sister who locked themselves and two of every animal in a big chest until a rooster's crow told them it was safe to come out. Does this Chinese legend remind you of anything? Well, if you've read the account of the flood in Genesis, you'll notice some similarities. A global flood, a few people, two of every animal saved, and a bird letting them know it was safe. All of these are found in the true account of the flood. These legends confirm that the Bible's history is true. Yes, people groups from all over carry the memory of Noah's global flood. Listen to this program again or view a full transcript when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be encouraged in your Christian faith at AnswersRadio.com. Beware the dreaded All Hallows' Eve, or as we come to know it, Halloween. A subject of much controversy among Christians. Some participate with costumes and trick-or-treating like anyone else. Others try to redeem the holiday by calling it a fall festival or doing a trunk-or-treat. Some do Reformation Day parties. Since October 31st is the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Personally, I like that one. Then there are those who choose to abstain entirely, shutting off the lights and locking everything down until the zombie apocalypse is over. Is there anything evil about dressing like Batman or Batgirl and going door-to-door asking for candy? No, there's really not. However, the origins of Halloween are unmistakably pagan with things a Christian should not participate in, like death and the occult. But Halloween is impossible to get away from. Once October rolls around, it's everywhere. Parents should always teach their children what is acceptable and what's not. In our hearts, we need to revere Christ as holy and honor God in all that we do. It's hard to deny door-to-door visitors make for a great opportunity to hand out tracts and share the gospel. As for whether or not to go trick-or-treating, the Christian is free to make that decision on their own. But don't quarrel over opinions. One person thinks of a day one way, while another thinks all days alike. Don't pass judgment on the one who abstains or on the one who eats Halloween candy. (laughs) Know the origins of Halloween and study Romans 14 to help you come to an informed and biblical decision. In the process, avoid guilting others into why they should or should not participate. Everyone is to be fully convinced in their own mind when we understand the text. Neanderthals, fully human. This is Ken Ham, encouraging churches to start their thinking with God's word. Scientists used to think Neanderthals were unintelligent, subhuman brutes. But creation scientists recognized that Neanderthals had all the hallmarks of being human. They used fire, buried their dead with rituals, 
A used tools to hunt. And more research has revealed that Neanderthals likely wore jewellery and makeup and could even bind up broken bones. Also, Neanderthal homes, which were often in caves, were divided into specific rooms. It even had hot water. Few scientists today think they were non-human brutes. For a time, it seemed God's word couldn't be trusted. But like always, science eventually caught up with God's word. Discover more about the true history of life and the universe when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be edified and encouraged at AnswersRadio.com. Typically have... First Corinthians 11.14 says it is a shame for a man to have long hair. The Bible also says that women should wear coverings on their head. This is just another example of why some commands in the Bible were cultural and are now outdated. Actually, the point being made is not outdated at all. This is another example of why context is so important. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church where some of the women were trying to take on the roles of the men. Specifically, married women were uncovering their heads like the men so they could preach. But women are not called to be pastors, elders, and overseers. That is a role that God has designated for a man to fill. And like in 1 Timothy 2, Paul explains using the order of creation. So we know that his argument is not merely cultural. But there are some cultural examples being given to help us better understand. Why do men typically have short hair and women long? Well, since a man was created first, he displays the excellence of God and covers less of his head. But woman displays the excellence of God's design, so she covers more of her head in reverence. Male headship continues throughout all generations, but Paul still makes it clear that both man and woman are made in the image of God. Overall, what should we be taking away from 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16? Simply this, that men should not try to look like women and take on the roles that God specifically called women to do, and that women shouldn't look like men and take on the roles that God specifically called men to do. Instead, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ when we understand the text. Should we explore outer space? This is Ken Ham, inviting you to enjoy our planetarium show at the Creation Museum. Creationists are often accused of being anti-science because we reject evolution in millions of years. Because we start with God's word, not evolutionary ideas, we also reject the idea of intelligent extraterrestrial life. We believe it's a big waste of money to search for aliens. Now, this doesn't mean we're against space exploration. After all, God created an amazing universe. It declares his glory and creativity. It's his creation that points us toward him. And the more we learn about the intricacies of space, the more we're in awe of what he's done. Yes, space exploration, it can be a good thing. Build a more biblical worldview when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. And listen to this program again and others like it when you go to AnswersRadio.com. That's all I got for Truth Be Told Radio. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and join us next time as we shine the light of biblical truth on Truth Be Told Radio.